Welcome to Flourish with Trish, a podcast dedicated to the curious and creative. Working with like-minded women chasing their dreams is something I have always been passionate about. Being a freelance photographer who specializes in creating content for women-run businesses means that no two days are the same. Every day I'm learning, every day I'm inspired, and every day is exciting. It's a real privilege being able to spend my days with passionate women in their respective fields. The knowledge each of these women share with me in the short time that we have together is incredibly inspiring and deserves to be shared with a wider audience. So here we are. From thought-provoking conversations to personal life stories and everything in between, I can't wait to introduce you to some of the beautiful women who have inspired me. My hope is that this podcast ignites a fire within and inspires you to live a life full of passion and purpose. Let's flourish together. Hello, you beautiful blossoming beings. I hope life is treating you kind. This episode is near and dear to my heart for very obvious reasons. I titled it The Woman Who Made Me because it features the most important woman in my life, my guiding light, my role model, my mom, rock star singer, Terry Crawford. I'm proud to say that I am the daughter of dreamers. I grew up in a house filled to the brim with endless love, support, and unwavering optimism. From the moment I entered this world, I was taught that I could be whatever I wanted to be, and I believe this to be true because I spent my entire life watching my parents fearlessly living out their own dreams as musicians. Fueled by passion, my parents met at 16, started a band, and made a living out of doing what they loved, and they were bloody good at it. They spent 287 days of the year on the road traveling from coast to coast for 20 years and signed and recorded three studio albums with RCA BMG along the way. They toured with the Beach Boys for three summers as their opening act on the North American leg of their tour and were nominated for various awards at award shows. In 2021, my parents celebrated 50 years in music together. This milestone is a testament to their love and respect for each other and their courage to follow their heart's desire regardless of the naysayers. Watching them do what they love every single day is a beautiful thing to witness. The older I get, the more I truly appreciate it. My mom's life has been an entertaining one at that. I'm her daughter and I still feel as though every time we pop a bottle of red, I'm learning something new and incredible about her. She's the wisest woman I know, and she has one of the purest hearts there is. This candid conversation has left imprints on my heart. For me, this episode will forever feel like a hug, and I hope it feels the same for you. So pop the kettle on, get cozy, and join Mom and I on our recent trip to Greece. A trip packed full of memories and a podcast, which will forever stand the test of time. Let's dive right in. Well, Kale Mira from Greece, Paxos, Greece, to be exact. I am sitting here with my beautiful mom, Terry. Some know her as Terry Bear. Some know her as Teresa. Some know you as Terry Crawford. Gosh, you've you've rebranded many times, Mom. How are you, Teresa? Uh, honey, I'm here with you. It says it all. This is perfect. <laughs> it has been perfect. We've had a whole week together, tucked away in our villa in the tiny island of Paxos, like I mentioned. And um, yeah, it's just been, it's been pretty magical for the two of us, but our entire family, especially after the last two years that we've had 
in the pandemic. So this uh, episode is very important and near and dear to my heart because not only am I sharing my mother with each and every one of you, um, I really wanted to, I get a lot of questions on my podcast or on social media about, you know, how do I have the wisdom that I have? How do I have the outlook that I have? How do I believe in myself? And I thought there's no better way than to, to, I guess, express that or to share my wisdom than to introduce you to my mother, the woman who, the woman who made me, the woman who raised me, the woman who gave me her wisdom and um, her outlook on life. And I feel like this episode is going to be the perfect way for me to, I guess, give you guys a little bit more of insight to who I am and why I am the way I am. And um, yeah, mom, thank you so much for... So here I am. <laughs> so, so here she is. And I think what we're going to do is I just want to dive right in and, and start uh, asking, asking some questions about really the woman that you are, because I don't necessarily, I mean, I know who you are. I've known you for 34 years, but I don't really know the woman Mm -hmm. that there was pre, pre me. Mm -hmm. Um, and you have a very interesting life, mom, in the sense that, you know, you, you've always followed your heart. You've always, you've always, since you were 16 years old, you've been singing and you met dad at 16. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine that, you know, you have always given me and my brother, Michael, you've always told us that we can be whoever we want to be. You've always told us and, and encourage us to follow our hearts and that we, there wasn't a stupid question and there wasn't, um, there's no barriers in our, in our, in our way. And that we, if we found something that we loved, we'd never work a day in our life. And I'm very grateful for that because I don't think a lot of people have that same level of encouragement and support that I have been blessed with from you and dad. So, I mean, I where guess did I that just, come from? Yeah, where did that come from? Well, and I think, how did you manage to stay the course of your own destiny and overcome any of the naysayers' opinions of how they wanted you to live your life mm -hmm. and continue to pursue your own dreams? Well, and, and that's, that's the thing. You see, growing up, uh, my father was in the Army. We were just normal folk. And we still are normal folk. Mm -hmm. But um, because there was so much um, unknown about the music industry and having a 16-year-old girl go on the road, you know, or traveling around to different gigs at late nights with, with five guys, I'd be a little concerned about letting you go, mm -hmm. too. So, um, but as far as, you know, the way we raised you and, and your brother, mm -hmm. because of all the naysaying, and, and the non-believers kind of like, I think it's because they do it out of love, because they, they, because they don't know anything about the industry, and they want you to be comfortable and to make a life for yourself. But for us, it was about uh, happiness isn't necessarily about a bank account. Mm -hmm. It's about what kind of fills you up, what makes you happy, what brings you joy, and the fact that we could share that joy with a wide audience. And it was that audience you know, the, the roar of the audience that actually drowned out the naysayers. So that's why we also wanted you guys to lead your own lives too. Mm -hmm. Find your passion and then just, just run with it. It doesn't mean it's an easy road because you're paving it as you go. So there's ups and downs as in any life, but it's what brings you joy that really matters. Yeah. So that's why we just stuck with it. I mean, if it feels good, you just keep doing it. Yeah. 
But that must have been hard if you didn't necessarily have the support of your parents or your family. Like, you know, I'm sure they probably said, when are you going to get a real job, Terry? Like, you're singing, but when are you going to get a real job? Honestly, yes, that was exactly what we would hear. Um, you just kind of don't really listen. Right. Because you've got a dream in mind, and I mean, everybody's dream. If you're a musician, either you're a writer and you want to just maybe keep it to yourself, or there's others where you just feel this need to share. And so... Um, that naysaying, that negative comments, it's not, it's not productive. Mm -hmm. So it really, it was hurtful, yes. Yeah. But it's like you fall, you get up. Yeah. You know, you just kind of move on. I guess your passion was the one that was fueling you in the end anyways. Like, there was no other option, was there? Like, did you ever feel like you had another path? Well, you know, we were booked a year in advance, so we couldn't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we couldn't, like, stop what we were doing because we had commitments. Right. Well, that's good. So. And that, that's crazy. Like, from 16 years old, you were literally on the road touring. Well, to be fair, the first when I was 16 till we were 18, we would play um, licensed dining rooms. Okay. Which were, at nighttime, were like bars. They'd convert to bars. But as long as they were serving food and alcohol, it was okay for children, for yeah, well, you were a, child, a child. We were a child. Really? We were children. Yeah. So it was okay for that. So we were allowed to do those gigs, and we did that for two years, and that's where we really honed our craft because we worked seven nights a week, seven nights a week because they were open oh Monday God. through Sunday, and it was we played five sets a night, and uh, you learn pretty quick when, you know, you're in front of people. You don't make too many. Well, you make mistakes, but you. Yeah. You know, absolutely. And this was in the seventies, wasn't it? Like this was you were doing this in in the seventies, and that we what, started in seventy one. Seventy one. So, and you were predominantly rock and roll, right? Yeah, we, we. I think most bands start off as a cover, a cover band, right? So we're doing other people's material, and then uh, I'm not a writer, but your dad is, mm -hmm. and uh, so he was continually writing, and we were always trying to find our own identity. Right. You know, we were influenced by other acts. Mm -hmm. Uh, Who was your biggest influence? Uh, you know what? For the most part, it was mostly male singers. Yeah. Because there really weren't, weren't that many female singers right. back then. I mean, yes, there was the Lena Ronstads and that kind of stuff, but but it was mostly male singers. I, I still, to this day, um, like Michael McDonald. Um, God, there's a singer from Free, and I can't think of his name right now. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, those were my go-tos. Yeah. Yeah, and yes, uh, I love the band, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. So in the 70s, what was it like? What was it like being a woman in rock and roll in the 70s? Well, you know what? My experience, um, I had really nothing to compare it to because they weren't really, uh, like, growing up in Winnipeg, uh, Manitoba, Canada. Mm -hmm. Cold. Uh, there were... <laughs> a lot of female singers so I gotta say there were some some very good female singers uh, we all do the same circuit um, but we never I never got a chance to see them because we worked literally every night of the year yeah and still going to school mm -hmm. um, I was a little bit of a a little bit, not a, not a joke, but people found it quite interesting. Because I was 16, working in these bars, my dad insisted that I was home at midnight. Right. So that I could still get a good night's sleep and go to school in the morning. So I would never play the last set with the band. So, you know, the boys would always walk me to my car, and I would drive myself home. So, see, I was surrounded by big brothers. 
Yeah. The boys in the band, they took care of me because they, were, they always, they knew. They knew what, you know, the scene was all about. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, being a groupie, being with the band, being with the singer. And, but no, that wasn't going to happen because they were my brothers. Yeah. So um, I was really fortunate. I mean, I it's pretty amazing that, that your parents did let you stay out till midnight on school nights, just touring and traveling. I mean, you did, as much as you had, like, the naysayers, yes, but you did also, did, you did have some support. They did. They, they trusted me. I mean, my dad, uh, his family was very musical, so he was familiar with, he wasn't, mm-hmm. but all of his brothers and sisters were. Yeah. So I guess he'd seen that growing up, and nobody, it didn't end up badly for any of them. No. So I guess that was uh, laid the groundwork for me. And as as things started to, you know, grow and, um, you know, your career started to take off and you guys started to have singles and hits and you started touring and, you know, you had some very affluential friends like the guys of uh, Guess Who, who, mm-hmm. if you guys aren't familiar with the Guess Who, these are the guys who wrote American Woman. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. it's a, and Lenny Kravitz made that mm-hmm. even bigger than it probably was to begin with. Mm-hmm. But um, you had some very, you know, affluential mm-hmm. friends that you used to probably be on the circuit with. But how was it being a woman, like, on tour with predominantly men? And there's probably sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's what it was known for in the 70s, wasn't it? Was it, was it scary? Was it? Well, see, generally in those days, too, um, employers would put the band up in a band house. Okay. So we all stayed in one building. So I felt I wasn't, like, in a hotel room alone, but I did have my own bedroom. Mm-hmm. And so in no sense no you know you're 16 you don't or 17 or 18 when 18 when we're on the road um you're not really afraid of anything true you know you're invincible you're bulletproof yeah so um no this was an adventure yeah because ignorance is bliss Ignorance is bliss. Even to this day. Even to this day. So when was it that you guys signed your record label? Like, I mean, you don't, if you can't remember the actual year, but was that in the 70s or the 80s? Because you were with RCA, BMG. That would be, I think it was 1979. Okay. Or, or it could have been 81. But yeah, we started off with RCA. Yeah. And then uh, while we were with them, it was always RCA. Yeah. And then after we com- uh, completed our um, commitment with them, Mm-hmm. We then signed with a Canadian label called Attic Records, mm-hmm. and um, you know we we did one album and we were in the we were in the works for doing another one. Mm-hmm. And um, while we we're in the middle of doing the second one, I was pregnant with you. Oh gosh, that was the late eighties. That was the late eighties. So in the late eighties, um, rock and roll singers um, didn't get pregnant. <laughs> Right. So um, they kind of saw that maybe as a bit of a red flag. Right. So we never did. Uh, we never did complete the yeah. album. Wow. Yep. Crazy. So with your, I remember being young, and I remember seeing, you know, because growing up. I genuinely just thought everyone's parents were musicians. I because that's all I knew. I thought everyone's parents were on the road. I thought everyone's parents were singers. Um, so it was very normal to me. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting older and learning how to spell my last name, which was Johnson, before I got married. And then being like, well, "Hold on, why is Mom's last name Crawford? Why is her? What, but her maiden name was Thorne. Mm-hmm. It didn't make sense." And then you said that you had you were encouraged to change your name from the record label. Why did the record label make you do that? Well, the band was called Crawford. The band really didn't have a name, but there was a bit of a misprint in the school newspaper because we used to do rehearsals at the school in one of the uh, rooms. Yeah. And so it was kind of a tee-hee moment for everybody. They thought it was kind of funny. 
So we kept the name Crawford. And then it was like, mm, Crawford, people think, was that a, is that a family? Is it like, is it like the Osmond brothers? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Who you, lo- you do love Donnie Osmond. Did I say that? <laughs> no, but I know you do. <laughs> yeah, still. Yeah. Hi, Donnie. <laughs> so, yeah, so... Um, I've lost. See, now I've lost my train of thought. Oh, sorry. But it's okay, because um, I get all caught up with Donnie. So, yeah, so when we were on the road, then we changed our name to Crawford Avenue Band. So okay. So people would just think, oh, yeah, they all live on Crawford, Crawford Avenue. And then when we got the record deal, they just said, well... Crawford Avenue Band's just too long a name. Mm. So they said, um, we don't want to just call you Crawford, so you're Terry. And so they said, you're going to be Terry Dash Crawford Band. So that seemed to be okay with them. And then before you knew it, it was just the Terry Crawford Band. It's the Terry Crawford Band. So that's just kind of how it stuck. And I kind of felt good at that point in time, too, because I thought, mm, some crazy people out there won't be able to find me in the phone book. Yeah, true, because you did have quite a few groupies and stuff that would follow you around. Yeah, yeah, some some a little bit, you know, scary, but... Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that would have been mm-hmm. scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, with this, like, you guys had some amazing opportunities in your career, and, you know, I'm sure they were, looking back, do you still pinch yourself with them? Like, you know, traveling with the Beach Boys. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. that's insane. Well, that that's kind of the highlight, really, mm-hmm. you know, playing these huge venues with 20,000, 30,000 people in them. And we were borrowing the Beach Boys audience mm. for 40 minutes a night. And the whole, and that was, you know, we're promoting an album, we're a young new group. And so it was, um, I mean, those were highlights. And they were super fair. A lot of, you know, major acts don't really sh- like to share the stage very well. Yeah. They don't want to give you any kind of um, edge in case you're really, really good. But we, I'm telling you, we just, it was just such a, a great match with the music because we were both very kind of uh, pop yeah. light easy for everyone to kind of like and uh, the Beach Boys would invite us onto the stage at the end of their show for, as part of their uh, encores wow. I mean that was like oh my god it's like those were definitely pinch me moments and you know still you know to this day well up until a couple of months ago was very um, still communicating with with some of the well with one particular guy in the band who was the backup band Billy Hinchy yeah. and he was in a band called uh, Dino Desi and Billy and they were all sons of like um, like Mar- uh, uh, Dean Martin uh, Hinchy he was a cousin I think of one of the Beach wow. Boys anyway uh, sadly Billy did pass away and so. Um, you know, that's gone. And I had found, it's really funny because a week before he passed, I found a picture of him and I backstage in a Calgary saddle dome. <laughs> backstage and just kind of, and they were just so friendly. Very, I mean, it taught us a lot about yeah. about being kind to people and being compassionate and being helpful. Mm-hmm. Because uh, we, we just learned a lot. Without them preaching, we just uh, watched and learned. And they gave you opportunities. Absolutely. You know, they and didn't they, have to do that. No, no, no. And like we did three summers with them. Mm-hmm. Um, not complete summers, but partial tours. Like, you know, five dates here, five dates. And they actually, after the first year, when they were talking to the promoters and the agents and stuff, they said, well, what's Terry Crawford doing? Wow. So they actually asked for us, which was really kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, that says a lot about you too, though, because they must have found you a pleasure and a joy to work with. Because if you guys were assholes, they wouldn't have you back. Very true. And and I have to say that's about the band and our crew. Yeah. 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 
do you guys have, do you have any regrets in your professional life? Is there any opportunities that you wish you said yes? I know hindsight's always twenty twenty, but is there any opportunities or situations or things you said no to that backfired or? Okay. Yeah. There's actually, there's two, and you might not even know of this first one I'm going to tell you about, mm-hmm. but back in the day when things started to kind of move, when RCA had come to Winnipeg to catch one of our shows, uh, they came They came to Montreal, they were catching quite a few of our shows. We were playing rather large um, uh, tavern type not tavern, but discotheque uh, venues, you know, holding hundreds and hundreds of people. And um, they had actually had offered uh, us to go to California, to go to L.A., mm-hmm. and, but it was going to be just me, me and Rick, I think. And um, we just had so much loyalty to the boys in the band that we just couldn't, we couldn't say uh, no, we don't want to leave the boys behind. Mm-hmm. So I think, I don't know what would have happened had we gone to L.A. Who knows? Yeah. Secondly was uh, a song that was presented to us through our um, pub- uh, publishing company. And our producers and engineers would consider the material before they would bring it forward to us. And uh, they had actually passed on a song that was written by a Canadian. Um, oh, I can't remember his name right now. But uh, it was a song that... Pat Benatar made big with it was hit me with your best shot. Hit me with your best shot. Yeah, come on and hit me. Yeah, right. I think everyone knows that song. Okay, so <laughs> they decided to pass on it, thinking that it was Eddie Schwartz that wrote it and had actually sang the demo, and so it didn't really appeal to them. They thought that perhaps it wasn't something that was suitable for me, so they passed on that. Who knows? Had we recorded it, could I be Pat Benatar right now? Who knows? No regret. I mean, it is a regret, but it's like. I'm happy to be where I am now, really. Yeah. Well, wow, that's insane. And you know what? Who knows? Could you have been the next pet or the, the, um, no. the pet? I mean, we, we don't know. And it's like you said, hindsight's always twenty. But everything happens for a reason, and I've always believed that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think any failed opportunity, well, any fail or any mistake is not really that it's just a new opportunity yeah you know absolutely absolutely and I think you've had so many amazing and cool opportunities I remember you know when we were younger so after you had my brother Mike and I you obviously took a bit of a step back from doing the touring and you didn't necessarily Mm. you weren't on the road as much obviously Mm. and you built your own studio at home so that you guys you know could be you are your work and you Mm. always have been your work and I think that's really um was an amazing thing for Mike and I to grow up with and and see, like, you lived out your dreams. Like, you weren't just saying follow your dreams. You were actually fucking doing them. Like, you were actually, you know, day in and day out, you know, singing, touring, bringing us on the road, on, on like, being on the road with Three Dog Night. Like, that was really cool. And I got to meet some amazing people along the way. And, you know, I've heard some of your stories that you've shared with me of the people I've met who I don't remember because mm. I was, you know, quite so little. Young. But, you know, I remember being a child and the, whether it was like Budweiser commercial came on Mm -hmm. and dad saying, oh, your mom's on TV and not really understanding it because I didn't physically see you, but it was your voice. And Mm -hmm. you, you, you had a lot of amazing opportunities even after you had children. You didn't have to give up your career because you said, you know, a lot of women in rock and roll didn't necessarily get pregnant, but you just kind of pivoted. Exactly. Pivot. We pivoted all the time. Yeah. To stay home and have babies, we... We would work in uh, licensed dining rooms. Once again, it was kind of became full circle, right? But there was a smaller, ven- venues were smaller, mm-hmm. but we would work four nights a week. It was enough to uh, 
you know, to sustain us. Yeah. Put clothes on your on your back and yeah. food in your mouth. Yeah. And it also uh, kept us uh, improving what we were doing. Yeah. I mean, because in those venues, then you, we wouldn't necessarily do original material because these are diners, so they want to hear songs that are familiar, if they want to get up and dance. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not fair to them. And we always feel this sort of, uh, that we owe our audience, you know, uh, they need to know if hear songs that they like. Yeah. <clears throat> but it's amazing that you pivoted in the sense that it's like, okay, well, I have children at home now, so what can I do that allows me still to do what I love, make mm. money, mm. and give my children, mm. like, the best, I guess, life that they can have, that they can live? Because you, you very much moved to rural Ontario, Canada. You bought 50 acres. You had horses. You gave me and Mike a very beautiful and blessed life mm. um, that I am genuinely grateful for. Because, At the time, you weren't. <laughs> well, I mean, being in the middle of nowhere, thinking my, my friends exactly. always lived close. But exactly. when I look back now, yeah. obviously, when you're older, to think that I used to get picked up by the school bus by a horse and then we would ride back a kilometer. That is so cool. Yeah. And, you know, the opportunity to get in. But, but it's just amazing that, you know, while we were at school, you could then drive into the city in Toronto, record yeah. these. Because what, what um, commercials were you doing? See, now that's another highlight, right? We talked about the Beach Boys and stuff like yeah. that, kind of going back. But... That was actually kind of a, a very cool part of, of my career, was that I would go in. I did uh, Budweiser, beer. Yeah. Uh, I sang a lot of beer, actually, beer commercials <laughs> because I just, I guess I sound thirsty. So there was, <laughs> You've got that gritty yeah, voice. There was Budweiser. There was Schooner Beer, which is a um, maritime beer in, in Canada. Yeah. Um, there was Labatt's Blue. There was, um, I think probably that's... You did Coca-Cola Classic for the 88 Olympics, didn't you? I did. Yeah. I did. I was actually pregnant with you, and I was, when I was doing that commercial, I was actually um, having contractions. Oh. Uh, yes, and I was saying, uh, yeah, um, I'm trying to relive that commercial in my head because <laughs> all I kept seeing was people kept wandering into the control room and then going back out because they all had heard the singer in Studio One is about to give birth. <laughs> oh <my laughs> right? And uh, I had actually been in the hospital the morning that morning before I went into Toronto and I was having a stress test done. Yeah. And um, the doctor said, hmm, um, you know, I really, I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking maybe I should just keep you. Uh, anyway, Rick said, well, we got to go into Toronto. She's got a jingle to do. And, uh, <gasps> And he said, well, uh, I just don't know if that's a good idea. And Rick said, hey, it's okay. There's five hospitals right around where we are. He says, well, that's true. That's a good thing. So we just carried on and did it. And you were born the next day, actually. Oh, my gosh. You went in, recorded it, and then it and it was airing throughout the whole... It was the 88 Winter Olympics? Yeah, I think it was the Seoul Olympics. Oh, the Seoul Olympics. Cool. Yeah, so it was, you know, boxer. Yeah. In the wow. Ring. It's that's... the hardest thing I've had to do. But I know what it's putting you through. It's something I just gotta do. Can't beat it. I don't know if we're breaking any rules no, here by singing No, I don't that, think but. so. I mean, maybe I can share it later or something. Can't beat the feeling. Coca-Cola oh. classic. Nice. So professionally, what are you most proud of? I mean, you've had so many amazing opportunities. Is there one thing specifically that that you're just so proud of that well, sticks out? Things are, well, I mean, the, the, if I look at the whole gamut of things, of course... Of course, um, the whole gamut of things definitely would be Beach Boys. That was the largest audiences that we'd ever played to. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember the 2000 New Year's Eve in Niagara Falls. 
that was the millennial mm. N- N- Niagara Falls, and there was a concern, oh, my God, what's going to happen to all the computers when they all go two zero zero zero? What was that called? What was the big thing that people were calling that at the time? That was the... I mean, was it, I don't know, I know, it was like the huge scare, everybody's like, oh, we don't know what's going to happen to the world when the computers go to zero, so, but we had played with uh, um, several acts there, and we had actually done, because we do children's music, as you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, so we did the earlier version of the night, and you guys were with us. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, and um, right by Niagara Falls, it was a gorgeous evening, and we got to play early, finish early. And then watch the main acts at the end of the night. And then do you remember when we were leaving, going through the streets of Niagara Falls, and everybody was just... Y2K. The Y2K. Y2K. Everybody was just nuts. The streets were jammed with people and... Because the world didn't end. And the world... That's (laughs) right. That's that's what what we were celebrating. (laughs) I mean, that's crazy at the end of the day. And the the children's music we do, too. Yeah. Um, I love it because it's it's a short set. Mm-hmm. Um, and we sort of Rick writes tunes in a way that um, they're easy to remember they're easy to understand it's not preaching but it's just teaching you know just letting children know that it's okay to be you you know celebrate you mm-hmm. treat other people like you want to be treated um, they're all feel good songs yeah. and uh, that's really how you know we've raised you guys too and I think that's kind of a great way to segue into my next question because I've been doing a lot of I guess reflecting and with this podcast and you know I have a lot of time in my hands I do yeah I'm busy with work but I do I've always loved to write always since I was very little I've kept a journal and I think the more and more I've been reflecting specifically in this last these last two years I think one of the greatest gifts that you've ever given me is you know Yes, the the belief that I have in myself, like the, and I genuinely do, because I would say that since I was about seven years old, taking the time to write and and become best friends with my own intuition, because I watched Dad write, mm. that was that's been a that's been an amazing gift. But but also the belief that I have in myself is unwavering. Like I do believe from every fiber of my being that I can do what I want to do and I can mm. be who I want to be. And it doesn't mean doesn't necessarily mean it's easy because it's not. Um, and it's not for the faint of heart, right? Because there are failures and there are things. And the, but another thing that you and Dad always taught me is that there's no such thing as a stupid question. Like, stupid's a bad word for stuff. Yes, and you always used to say that to us that no one is stupid, and there's no such thing as a stupid question. And I was re- listening to the lyrics that one of the songs that Dad wrote. And anyone who's listening who knows this album, um, your first—it was your debut children's album, just called "Just for Kids." And there was a song that Dad wrote called "Tell Me Why." Um, and I know he said he wrote this because he said, since the day you came out of the womb, all you did was talk. <laughs> talk, 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 talk. And you'd always ask questions. And he said he just, am I right? He followed me around for a day. <laughs> and he says, I just wrote down every question that you, that you asked. But one of the lines that sticks out for me that seems to really resonate is the line that he says, every question needs an answer. And I hope you understand. I will always try and do the best I can. And I, I kept thinking about that. I will always try and do the best I can. I mean, honestly, what can anyone ever ask for? Mm-hmm. And I feel as though that you and Dad embodied those set of beliefs my entire life, and they really shaped the woman that I am today. Um, so when I get when it comes to raising children, what was the single most important thing to you as a parent when raising a child? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you pretty much said it there. It's about all we ever asked of you 
and your brother was do your best and then better your best so every day just better your best whatever and your best will change from day to day mm-hmm. right depending on your the way you feel and also it was about treating other people the way you want to be treated to be fair to be kind um, to listen which I don't do very well but I am it's a work in progress mm. um, but it's that's all we could ever ask is that you do your best and you be kind and mm. you don't lie and you know that's yeah really I know but I remember too specifically report card season mm. and I remember my peers it'd be report, report report cards would come out and all my friends mm. would go oh my gosh I'm so nervous to give this back to my mom and dad mm. I'm so nervous for my mom and dad to see yeah, my marks yeah. and I remember honestly I can distinctly yeah. remember and very I remember never feeling that like I never had that like oh well it didn't that didn't matter see we never focused on numbers no, you didn't. We never focused on numbers to us. It was the comments that made more, meant more to us. Because to be a good member of, of society and community is about having character. Mm. Uh, have a good attitude, set a good example. Right there's yeah, another. Yeah, that was another song. song. Yeah, it was a, the attitude song, right? Yeah, but I remember that, like going through and being like, "Well, you know," he's saying, "Yeah, okay, hold on." You'd open the report card, you'd go to the bottom, and you'd see all of our character marks, and you're like, "As long as they say E for yeah. excellent and G for good, yeah, yeah. you were happy. That's You've right. done your job yeah. as a parent." Yeah, and you know, math always shocking, yeah. science always shocking, yeah. but you said, "Well, we can fix that." Yeah, right. Yeah, and I think that that as well taught me without you even knowing it that like I didn't ever have anxiety about not doing something well like I knew that you couldn't be good at everything and I knew that if all all I ever do is do the best that I can and if you knew that I was doing be lawful be kind be lawful be kind I mean yeah you've you've said it all um you've always provided great advice mom not just to me, but my friends and my colleagues. Anyone who knows you knows, well, knows that your favorite word is fuck. Because <laughs> you love to say, ah, fuck it. And, 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 you, and you really do live your life that way in the sense that you just, you, you just, whether it's something that scares you, you go for it. Or if something bugs you, roll it off, your, like brush it off your shoulders, fuck it. Um, but I remember some of my fondest memories as a, as a teenager, like my friends coming around and we'd all sit at the island mm-hmm. around the house and we'd have cups of uh, cups of tea and we would you would just share your words of wisdom. And I still get messages from friends that I don't necessarily speak to very much anymore. But, you know, they're whether they're acquaintances or just they're living their life mm-hmm. in Canada or well, everybody the moves on. Right? Everyone moves on. And they still share some of the things that you've that you've told huh. them. And I think that's really a beautiful thing. And. I don't know if you realize how much of an impact you've actually had on. No, and that's what's kind of cool is you don't know what your what impact you have, what imprint you make, right? Yeah. And uh, and your intention isn't to do that, because um, preaching just never works. No. Right. Share stories and your successes and and your, you know, failures if you want to call it that or your oopsies. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and then make up your own mind. Yeah. But what was the best best advice someone's ever given you? You're great at giving advice, but who gave you the best advice? And what was it? Wow. Now you've put me on the spot. Um, you know, there was... 
And this wasn't even directly to me. And it was a long time ago when we were touring out west. And Rick and I, your dad, mm-hmm. we would uh, we remembered there was this one fellow who we did not know, and he came into our dressing room between sets, and uh, and he kind of had you know he had long hair and a beard as everybody probably did in those times, and still to this day. Yeah. Um, and he just said, you know, don't don't lose faith. Do what you're doing because you're doing a great job. Mm. Don't just just keep going. And we never we never found out who he was, but there was something about him. He was almost like mm. out of this world type mm. person, right? So those are the kind of little moments where you think, who was this guy? Yeah. Right? But I mean, as far as anything else, I I honestly don't know. Like, I mean, when Rick and I got married, yeah. Um, and um, the pre the the, the, the uh, priest who who married us. Yeah. Um, you know, he would say stuff like, you know, never go to bed angry. Mm. You know, that kind of stuff. And never hold on to your anger and always say, tell each other you love each other. And, and I think those are st- strong words because I even do it with the boys in the band too. Like, you know, geez, I love you guys. You know, I always say, I love you guys. I really appreciate you. I'm so grateful. Mm. But I mean, that's all I can really think of. Trish. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've just, I just think back to all the things that you've... I'm learning a lot from you. Me. Lately, yes, because you're very insightful, and, mm. uh, and you're teaching me, and I think, that's, I think that's part of parenting, too, is like, you know, the, the student becomes the teacher, and that's what I like, and I learn from you, and I learn from our Michael, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a give-and-take kind of world, Yeah. right? And, and I think that's probably why... Why this this whole vacation, this whole holiday, you know, I've, I've longed for something like this because whenever we do get together in in normal times in the past, you would come home to Canada and I'd have to share you with all your friends and I'd only get little snippets of you. Mm. Whereas here, we are locked up together and yeah. it's great. And I'm having so much fun. Yeah. I've never laughed so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and we're I eating think, great, and yeah. we're sipping sangria. We are, we are, and I just, yeah, I just think to all the things that you've given me, all the little gifts, and even as a child, you know, running around, and I think you always, I don't really ever remember being bored. Like when we were, we had, we had all this land to run around on, and I, me- I remember saying like, "Oh, there's nothing to do today," and you go, "Go listen to the grass grow." Yeah, like little things like that, and I'm like, you know, there's something so big in that. Like there's because I think with with boredom comes curiosity curiosity comes creativity Mm. creativity comes there's so many things that ripple from that and i don't think kids nowadays are allowing children are just not bored anymore they have an ipad in front of their faces you know and i think i don't know you just kind of raised mike and i in a very in a a holistic way and you know we you you built a little basketball court and it wasn't anything fancy but you gave it there to us because we wanted to play basketball here go play zip line zip line yeah we had a little zip line through the woods right and it's i don't know like you just you've given so much wisdom and i just it's interesting that yeah like what you said sometimes you don't realize that you get wisdom from like complete strangers and it sticks with you forever and it's like why is that such a pivotal moment in my life yeah it was almost like he was an angel to be to, to be fair yeah yeah, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Another thing I really adore about you, Mom, is how you've always worked on yourself. Mm. 
and you know you're forever looking to expand your expand your brain power. You love to read. You love to. If you don't know an answer, you dive in, and I feel like I've got that from you. Like if I don't know an answer, I'm like I need to read a book on you know uh, neuroscience or something because I just I don't know. It's not I. I I want to be able to be in a in a room where I can add to add value to a conversation or at least soak it up. Mm-hmm. And I've always really admired that about you and I think it's interesting that you know recently you you know you're what you're in your 67th lap around the sun is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you decided to learn to play the guitar at 67 and you're absolutely loving it. And would you say you've so like why is personal growth and development so important to you? Well, <clears throat> first off, I have always wanted to be able to play an instrument to accompany myself so I could just sit down, sing, and just let it rip. Mm-hmm. Um, I did start playing guitar. Piano probably would have been easier because guitar is very painful. And and also, at 67, I don't quite have the de- dexterity yeah. that had I, I, had I started at 16 that I would. But um, So it it's definitely a work in progress, but I do, I mean, at, at my age... There's not, you know, a lot of people don't start things. There's mm. not a lot of new things, mm. you know, and 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 there's um, forces you to concentrate on one thing, mm-hmm. and 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 actually gives me gives me a moment where I can actually feel proud of myself if I get through a song and go, yay, good for me! I can celebrate me yeah. because we don't often do that either, right? Especially as we get into our later years, like a lot of the, those moments happen when we're young. You know, we're trying new things. Yeah. We don't necessarily yeah. try new things or step outside of our comfort yeah. zones. And, and as we get older too, I mean, we have to protect certain parts of our body, especially our brain, mm-hmm. because we need to start new pathways. Mm. You know, because whatever that they say, you know, you use one tenth of your brain or something like that. Well, I'm tapping into a part of my brain that I've never used before. Yeah. You know, um, have you surprised yourself? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. It's been kind of, it's been kind of, kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I have a really good ear, so you know when I'm playing, even if I don't use a tuner, I can sort of tell it. It's not in, yeah, tune it up, please, yeah. or something, right? But uh, yeah, I mean, I'll never. Your father's really good guitar player. Never, and I'll never be at that level. That doesn't matter. And sometimes I don't feel confident to to actually play in front of other people. Mm. Um, I did recently at a gig. We did it, but it was just a, it was a Stones tune, oh, and nice. it was a pretty easy. So it was like. <laughs> you know something like that yeah but that's but, cool like yeah you know, it's taking a step outside of your comfort zone it's being Ooh. courageous it's yeah because to sing and play at the same time too I think takes a little bit of uh, um, independence but you're doing that at 67 mom a lot of like I think that's something to to be said and like you know a lot of people don't you're do never that never too old to learn my god I mean I hear new words and I'm always hitting the dictionary on my phone mm-hmm. I've got that app because I just I like I like words. Yeah. And I like to know, you know, I like to know what, what it means and yeah. maybe expand my vocabulary. Because yeah. you, get, you get kind of stuck in a rut. And uh, and you think you're always going to be like that? Do you think you'll always want to like to learn something new or challenge yourself? Oh, yeah, or? for sure. Oh, yeah, I love, I love Googling. Yeah. What's cool is that you said to me recently, too, you... Um, you know, you're living in like this kind of not retirement community, but like a gated community of people who have to be about fifty plus to, to be in it. Yeah. And you are the young chick in your group. Pretty much. And actually, you know, these these women who have, you know, maybe ten, twenty years on you are teaching you I admire them. I cannot believe their physical strength for starters. 
because we all uh, you know attend gym classes, lifting weights, doing yoga. Some of them take meditation. I haven't. I keep saying. I keep threatening. I'm going to join them. Um, but it's their knowledge. It's mm. the knowledge they share, and 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 it's their. Uh, they're just. They don't get super excited about stuff. They don't get really angry. It's all about being calm and about it's okay. Everything will be fine. Mm. Everything will be fine. Whatever whatever comes up, right? Or yeah. somebody gets ill, it, it's okay. Well, and we we're, we're sisters. I mean, we truly are sisters. Yeah. And uh, it's yeah. They they inspire me every day. They amaze me every, every day. day. And we're, I'm talking about ladies who are in their 80s. Wow. And uh, they're beautiful, physically beautiful. Yeah. That's amazing. And I think, too, that, you know, the older we get, would you say the more love you have to give? Would you say that? Would you agree that? I think so. I think we get more patient and more understanding. And it's not about tolerating people and their insecurities. It's about accepting them for who they are and just to be just to be grateful that we're still here and we're all still living and breathing. Mm. And we're all, although we may experience things differently, we do experience the same things. Like our reactions might be different, but we all experience the same things. We all share very much the same story and, and, and not, not entirely. I mean, sometimes when you, you know, you, you find out about someone's, um, history or their experiences and you think my god I'm just so fortunate and it just makes you feel so much more lucky and then you have so much more respect for them because they've survived they've actually survived something that would I think would devastate me but because they've survived it I know I can handle anything what did you say to me the other day about what your friend said about what life is oh this was random because we were in we were in a coffee shop Mm mm-hmm I dropped off my friend. She was getting a, she had a doctor's appointment. We all go together with all these things. Yeah. And um, support everybody, each other in times of um, stress. Yeah. And uh, we're at a coffee shop and this gentleman, just... A random who, person. Who knows? Okay. Almost one of these angels. Yeah. And he just looked at us and said, so, ladies, is life really all about pain and suffering? And of course, my immediate... I was ready to blurt out, well, no, of course not. But my friend said, yes, it is pain and suffering. It's about growth. It's about overcoming that, making you stronger Mm. for the next event. And I went, oh, my God. Never really thought about it that way. Yeah. But it's the journey. It is the journey. and, And without pain, it's always opposites, right? Like, how do you appreciate the good? You have to go through pain. How do you know how to treat people with kindness? It's when you've been, you don't want to be treated the way some people treat you. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, the more you reflect on that, it's actually true. It's like, gosh, when I meet people in life and I think that, like, they're the kindest people, the most generous people, the most grateful people, I genuinely think to myself, my God, what hell have those people been through? Right. What, what kind of pain and suffering have those people been to to be this beautiful inside and out? You know, because I think, I mean, that's what I've found anyways mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. through life. Yeah. So on that note, I mean, you talk about your beautiful, your beautiful friends and the legacy they're leaving behind. Mm. 
and the the way you're going to always remember them, mm-hmm. you know, and they're going to be in your life for many years to come, and they're teaching mm-hmm. you many things. Mm-hmm. But what what do you want your legacy to be, Mom? It's a pretty loaded question. It is. <laughs> well, I would like to be remembered as just being a nice person, being kind, and. Um, and sharing my beautiful children with the world, who I know you will make a difference, mm. as will Michael. Mm. Um, I know that you will you will make a difference in the world, not maybe the whole globe, mm. but in somebody's world. I brought two beautiful people into the world. Mm-hmm. Well, you said it pretty well there. That's mm-hmm. so. I think, and I think you will be, Mom, because there's still people who, like I said, who message me and tell me how much of an impact you've had in their lives, whether you were there for them and when they were going through a rough time when I was a, a you know, a child, or they still reach out to you now, or, yes. you know, and I, I know, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, we never, we, we will, none of us will ever know the impact we ever have yeah. on people's lives and also the ripple effect of yeah. our kindness, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you pay it for, you, you, you're kind, someone pays it forward yeah. because love and positivity is infectious and, mm-hmm. You know, I've you know I've done a lot of reading, and I, I read The Secret when I was eighteen, and I changed my life. and And I think that, yeah, I think that you've changed more people than you'll ever, ever be able to. I guess what's the word I'm looking for? I, I, I would never know. You'll never know. I'll never know. But you've changed me too. Yeah. And both of you have changed me. And my my husband has changed me. Yeah. I mean, not changed, but improved me. I would say yeah. a beautiful me. addition to your life. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you make me proud, and I'm, I'm overjoyed that you asked me to do this with you. Oh, wow! I, you know, it was like the least I could do, and I really wanted to. I wanted people to get a, a a glimmer of the woman who raised me, and you know, we can we can definitely do more of these, and who knows where the next one will take place, darling. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess on that note, we. Uh, We've got our last night to enjoy yeah. with the family, yeah. and we've got a pool with our name on it. And I'm sure people can hear the beach or the the, the water in the background. And what are those? What is that sound? I don't know. <laughs> bugs or birds? Who knows? But they're they're pretty busy out they're there. They're pretty busy. Yeah. So, anyways, on that note, mom, thank you so much. Yamas. Yamas. Yes, and uh, I love you. I love you too. Cheers. Cheers. Sangria. Mm-hmm. Flourish with Trish is an original podcast hosted by me, Trish. It's produced by my father, Richard Johnson, from his home studio in Ontario, Canada. The music was also composed and produced by my incredibly talented dad, who, like my mom, has always encouraged me to follow my dreams. Thanks, mom and dad. <laughs>